Well, God bless you guys. Good morning. My name's Chris Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Heritage Church, and I say that to you because some of you don't normally come here on Sundays. You're part of the Emmaus community, and we honestly can't tell you how thrilled we are to have you guys here today. This was disruptive for you. You're used to being at the school and doing things there and doing things your way at your time, and so we get how disruptive this was to be a part of this thing today, and we want to thank you for that, and uh, Nathan and I, um, we, we get opportunities, we run into each other, our offices are in the same building, and um, we love to kind of brainstorm about ways that we can do more things like this, and uh, we love that we're doing this today with you, and I hope all of you are planning on staying afterwards because... We've got a whole area out there that we have just prepared for all of us to go hang out together and eat together. We've got a caterer who's taking care of really good hamburgers and hot dogs and some brats and some really cheesy macaroni and cheese and some cold watermelon and cold drinks. And we got ice. We, we went the extra mile for you guys. Hand-squeezed country time lemonade right out of the can. All right? So... Two extra scoops of powder for you guys. That's what we're doing for you today. Uh, so I hope you're planning on staying. Uh, but we are thrilled. A little later on in service, at the end of our service, we're going to be taking an offering. And uh, for Emmaus folks, you're going to give as you normally do, but we want you to use our envelopes, and you're going to write Emmaus on the outside of the envelope. You can give all your giving information on the inside, especially if you're giving cash, things like that. Please write Emmaus on the outside of the envelope as well so that we can separate that and still keep it. We just want to separate it. So we, I'm just kidding. So, and, and Emmaus is spelled H-E-R-I-T-A-G-E. Uh, no, but seriously, we want all your giving is going to go to Emmaus. And so don't do anything differently today. Just give through our offering. Use our envelopes because we want to be sure that it all gets to where it's supposed to go. Make your checks out to Emmaus as normal. And Heritage folks, you just give as you normally do. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly... Um, thrilled about today, especially after I got to sit through first service, because it is such a good message. Um, I take a teaching sabbatical in July, so I don't speak all through July, because I like to, as you get to do, I like to sit and listen to really good teaching, and I, he is, Nathan Oates is one of my favorite teachers. I was telling somebody after service, I said, this dude's not like normal guys. This guy's smarter than normal guy. I go, this dude is so much smarter than I am, and I, I love to hear him teach, and I love to hear him, and he's funny, and he's really, really good, and this message is so good, and I'm thrilled for you guys to be here today. So would you help me welcome <clears throat> Pastor Nathan Oates? Thanks. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. We love being here. I love being here. And we've done a couple gatherings together like Good Friday or Ash Wednesday. This is our first Sunday morning together. And uh, you say it's an inconvenience for us or something, a disturbance. This is, we have serious building envy happening right now. We have, <clears throat> we have air conditioning envy happening right now. Yes. Right. We have a high-ranking military official with us today who told me before, I think we can take this place. <laughs> Bring it on. I knew you'd say that. Yeah, I think you have a few more high-ranking officials than, than we might. Yeah. <clears throat> so here's our hope as it is, I think, always when we gather on Sunday mornings together. Uh, there's a recognition on the part of anybody who's involved in soul care. 
Anybody who's in, involved in the lives of others, frankly, that there are so many realities that we bring into a room like this. On a Sunday morning, there are people, even here, I can see them, who've lost loved ones this week. There are people here who have celebrated great victories this week. There's all kinds of people in between. There's battles that are being fought. Some of you are hardly talking to the person next to you. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on, and, and there's a recognition of that. And so the challenge for preachers often is to, to deliver the word of Jesus, and you just, can't, you just can't do it in a way that affects everybody, right? Because so many different people are thinking about so many different things, but here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is not contained into one person, but is here in general and is able to minister to all of us. So uh, whether what we say today really resonates with you or not, I hope that you will bring your true, honest, vulnerable reality to uh, the present here, that you won't leave it at the door, that you'll bring it right on in, and that you'll allow the word of God to just kind of wash over that, the worship, the celebration of communion. In other words, bring who you actually are and what you're actually dealing with to Jesus this morning. And whether my words connect or not isn't the point, because he will meet you here because he's that good, and he cares about you that much. So I'm, I'm so glad that you have joined us, and if you went to Emmaus this morning and Hopefully you found your way over here. I guess if you didn't, uh, you're not here, so um, I'm excited. Can you raise your hand? I just need a, a kind of a read. Can you raise your hand if you have a Facebook account? <laughs> Somebody did that, right? Can you keep your hand up if um, spending time on Facebook usually brightens your day and makes you feel better about the future of humanity? <laughs> we'll talk afterwards, Cody. Good. I'm not a huge Facebook fan. I, I admit I'm, I'm terrible at Facebook. I really don't get it. I, I, I understand it. Um, I'm sold on it. The church, Emmaus, uses Facebook. It's a great way to promote. I mean, we reached more people with $60 recently than we did 10 years ago with a $6,000 mailer. It's so powerful. It's amazing. But personally, I just struggle with it. I struggle. I have like this lack of tolerance for, I don't know, the, the silly videos and the, uh, the onslaught of selfies at the end of a stick and the, uh, my favorite recently is the, the oh-so-courageous politics of profile pictures. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. But I'm not good at Facebook, so I'm not really the guy to ask about it. I totally admit it. But you know who's really good at Facebook? Come on, you know who's really good at Facebook? Sandy is good at Facebook. I would say, I would still put, yeah, Pastor Chris Young rocks at Facebook. Okay, this guy over here. If, if you're not... His friend, you should be, because he's been doing a great job in the recent weeks um, in um, articulating, um, talking about, engaging is the word I'm looking for, some really challenging topics in our culture with clarity and with wisdom and with grace, and I've really, I've really appreciated it. Um, it's probably one of the only things I've appreciated on Facebook in recent weeks. And I'm so thankful, though, for voices like Chris's, because um, he's able to communicate even in kind of the popular social media world, uh, some really good and important truths. And here's why I'm so thankful for that. Because the church, which I love, is being ripped apart by differences. Just pretty much rendered impotent in our ability to engage culture because of our inability to deal with our differences. It's not the fact that we have differences that is the problem. It's that we deal with our differences so poorly, so immaturely so often. We spend more time talking about our different convictions than our common convictions. We spend more time, I think this might even be worse, I think we're a little bit even more passionate about the details of our disagreement 
than we are about the core of our common faith. And I, I want you to understand that I'm not saying that our differences don't matter. I'm not saying that our differences are not important. I think they're very important. I'm not saying that what you believe about race or about uh, health care <clears throat> or about uh, marriage or about vaccinations, just to hit the highlights of like the last 10 days, it's just hard for me to imagine, that, that that kind of stuff doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters a lot. But here's my point this morning. It doesn't matter the most, okay? It doesn't matter the most. Therefore, because of that, because our differences, of which there are many and they're legitimate, but because our differences do not matter the most, this is what we do. This, we're doing it. We gather together, right? As a Christian church, we come together to worship God. And we don't come with our best friends. And we don't just come with our family. And we don't just decide, I'm just going to have church with the two or three people in the world that agree about everything with me. Like, we're just going to go set up camp in the woods, and we're just going to do church. You can worship Jesus in the woods. You can worship Jesus on the golf course. But Christianity is fundamentally communal, and so the kind of worship that is articulated in Scripture is this kind of worship, where a bunch of people with a lot of differences come together and we say, those things matter. I'm not saying they don't, but I'm going to lift up as the ultimate is, uh, importance the thing that we have in common, right? A bunch of people in many ways that were coming together and were saying, this is what matters the most. We have different backgrounds, I know that, different stories, I already talked about how we probably have different struggles that we're wrestling with today. I know we have different dreams. We have different convictions about watering grass, about the role of government, right? We have different preferences about food and music and media and those kinds of things. But even more important than all of these differences um, is what we share in common. It's what we have in common that unites us. And it's what we have in common that literally draws us to gather together right, this morning. Not that we agree on everything, but that we agree on the most important thing, right? And even the day of our gathering speaks to this reality. Most often, Christians gather on Sunday mornings. What is that? Even this communicates the, the reality that we're talking about. It's the day of the resurrection, right? Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. The, the beginning of the new week, and even more than that, the beginning of the new creation. Sunday is the first day of the new creation, Right? So we come together not as part of the old world, but as part of the new creation, even now being rebuilt and woven back together by God, who chooses to use us, by the way, to do this beautiful reuniting and restoration of all things. So the reality that unites us could be probably understood like this. Right? It's not about our politics. It's not about our parenting philosophies. It's not about our educational choices. But the reality that unites us, to say ultimately is this, we have a common belief, right? We have a shared hope. And we have a defining identity, a defining identity. Let me touch the first two just briefly. Our common belief, very simply stated, is that Jesus is God, that he lived and died as one of us, that he rose again to conquer sin and the grave. Amen? Amen? That is the first Christian creed. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ, the expected one, the Messiah. That's what we believe. We share in that common belief. We also share a common hope. 
And that is that even though this world is really messed up, it's broken to the core, right? Babies are born with genetic disorder. That's how deep sin and brokenness is in creation. But even though it's broken that deeply, God, our common hope is that God's putting it all back together. God's weaving it all back together. It's like this shared anticipation. It's like we're looking at the same sunrise, right? We're anticipating the same reality. It's a shared longing for wholeness, right? That the brokenness goes away. It actually doesn't just go away, but is woven back together. It's the resurrection of all things, the restoration. You see lots of examples of the shared hope. Like in sports, you see this in sports. People with almost nothing in common will gather together with the shared hope that their team will win. We saw this even this, this last week. Every night this last week, we were at, at the baseball field because the all-star teams in town were playing. And so you've got our all-star team playing all-star teams from other cities. And uh, all these people are gathering in the stands and around the field. It's really a cool scene. What's interesting to watch is that at the beginning of the game, even though it's packed, people are only talking to those who are sitting with right next to them, just the people that they came with. But one game was especially intense there were a lot of lead changes. We had lost to them the night before. This was a do-or-die game for us. And then we start catching up, and the, 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 the uh, excitement kind of increases. And by the end of the game, people who are hardly even talking at the beginning of the game are chanting in unison, right? Because we share this common hope. We hit a game-winning walk-off home run. People are hugging each other, high-fiving, because it's a big deal. It's 12-year-olds, right? It's a big deal. <laughs> right? And so we are united, right? And then that lasts until we walk off the field, and that unity goes away, you know, we're still complaining about the way the other person raises their kids and the bumper stickers on their cars, and, right? But what's so cool about the common hope that Christians have, if they choose to embrace it, is that this is the unity based on our common hope really can hold us together forever, right? This is a hugely powerful common hope because it's not a Hallmark card hope. It's not a warm and fuzzy religious sort of spiritual thing. It is rooted in the reality of the resurrection of Christ. Okay, so we is fundamentally core to who we are and why Christians aren't happy. They're hopeful, right? Sometimes we're, we are beat down, right? But we are hopeful because of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so um, what I really want to focus on is the third idea here, the third thing that we hold in common. I think it's the most important thing that we share as Christians today. And I say it's the most important, I, I, at least in this time and culture, I think, because it is at the core of the confusion in our culture and in our church. I think this is what a lot of the division is ultimately about. What we share should we choose to embrace it, acknowledge, recognize, and then embrace it as a, as a, um, a defining identity, a defining identity. So in the Emmaus church community, there are all kinds of differences, right? And then we come together to worship. And in the heritage church community, there are all kinds of differences. And those are legitimate and they matter. And then today, we bring as two church communities, we come together for worship. And so in addition to all the individual differences that we normally have, now we have all these churchy differences, which are especially problematic for church people, right? We, we divide more often than we unite. In fact, so excited to share this. There was somebody in the first gathering, oh, delicate, be delicate. Um, they left one of our churches to join the other one of our churches. That's pretty well done don't you think? And they were here to their credit. I wonder 
how, how they felt about that. You know, like if they were disappointed. Like, what? I just left. <laughs> He's chasing me. This is the single defining identity that unites us. This is, is something, something Jesus says about this that is incredibly profound. It's one of those things that the more you think about it, the longer you soak in it, the more fundamental it will become in your faith. Uh, initially, this will not make sense, but it will make more, it will never make full sense because it's a mystery, but it will, it will become more profound the longer you rest with it. This is what Jesus says to this issue. The end of Matthew's gospel, he says this, take, eat, this is my body. Okay, so Jesus says this, these words, to his disciples on the last night before he is betrayed, arrested, tortured, crucified. It also happens to be the night of the Passover feast, the biggest annual celebration of the Jewish people, commemorating the main event of the whole Old Testament, the, the day that they were freed from being slaves to the Egyptians, the Red Sea parted, and they, they exited. It's the Exodus, right? You've heard of it. It's a major event. It was the major party, the major feast of their culture. And they're there having this meal together, Jesus with his disciples. So initially, Jesus' disciples probably don't understand really what Jesus is saying when he says, take, eat, this is my body. It probably wasn't super clear to them. But Jesus' words quickly become in the early church, and what's amazing to me is for the last 2,000 years, the most profound image of what is happening here and, more importantly, the most profound picture of who we are, the defining image, the defining identity of who we are. This is a true picture. So Jesus and his closest disciples having the Passover meal together. Jesus is serving as the host, and at one point in the meal, Matthew, who's one of his disciples, he's there. He writes this in his gospel later when he writes it. He said, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body. I wonder if at first, when Jesus is praying and then begins to distribute the bread, if it just felt like what they were doing was normal. It just is like, this is just Jesus, hey, would you like some bread? Would you want some of this? Until that moment when he said, this is my body. And I wonder if it was kind of like, what? You know, like, what? What did you just say? Right? Because this is so strange that he would say this. But it actually wasn't the first time that he had said this. Suddenly it's apparent that, that Jesus isn't really talking just about the bread. He's talking about something more. And when Jesus said to his disciples, take, you have to understand, this is a power, powerful word. He's not just saying, hey, you might try some of this. It's really well seasoned today. He's saying, take hold of this when he says take. He's saying, receive and carry this. He's saying, possess this. He's saying, allow this to nurture you. And then he says, eat. It's not taste. It's not, you might try this sometime. It's eat. It's consume this. It's make this part of you. Allow this to be what fuels you. What is this? What is he talking about? Well, he says, this is my body. I, I just think it must have sounded really strange. 
even though they had been hearing him say these kinds of things for a long time. One example is in John chapter 6. There's a long passage where Jesus teaches about the bread, and it's profound because the night before, he has miraculously fed the 5,000. Maybe you've heard that story. Well, it's 5,000 men that they've counted. With them are their families. So it's probably about 15,000 people who have been miraculously fed food by Jesus. They track him down the next day because they want him to do it again. And at that point, Jesus has this long, powerful uh, sermon about bread. And this is what he says in the, ver in 30, the 33rd verse. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He continues. He says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, unless you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This life source he's talking about, right? And then he says this, he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. There's a reference to what happened right after the Jews escaped slavery, were delivered from slavery, wandering around in the desert, they're hungry, God provides this miraculous bread from heaven, literally apparently falls from the sky, they don't know what it is, they say, what is it? That's what the word manna is. And Jesus is saying, you remember that? You've heard the stories? They ate the manna, the bread from heaven, and they died. But whoever eats this bread will live forever. And so John writes, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? And then Jesus, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, does this offend you? It's really challenging. It's really strange. And it would be easy to write this off as just some sort of obscure statement of Jesus that none of the scholars really understand what he must have meant when he said that. But in fact, the idea of experiencing Jesus as bread and wine or experiencing bread and wine as Jesus doesn't go away. In fact, it becomes more and more central to the the teachings of, of, of Christians. It becomes more and more core to the way Christians order their worship. They actually begin to structure their worship gatherings around the experience of a meal of bread and wine as the body and blood of Jesus. It's really fascinating. Paul says this to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian Christians, about this idea. And what I think is helpful about looking to Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians is that church First century Corinth is a lot like our church in 21st century America. In this way, the Corinthian church was divided over social issues, over sexual issues, over economic issues, over racial issues, a lot like we in our culture are today. And this is what Paul says about a generation after Jesus said what he did, this almost cannibalistic, I can't, I'm not really sure how to understand that teaching of the body and blood, Jesus. Well, this is what Paul says. He says, is not the cup of, of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? 
And then he says, and is not the bread which we break a participation in the body of Christ? And so then follow Paul's logic. He says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we share in one loaf. So what we're talking about right now, friends, is the defining identity which Christians share in common. Did you know that in the second and the third century, the persecution of Christians was very intense? It was very hot. It was literally a spectator sport in the Colosseum, literally. Like, fill the seats, sell the tickets, I don't know, craziness, because it was just that intense and accepted for the government to persecute Christians, which I'm going to take a note of. Right? So here is what, uh, there were early examples, early um, writings which articulated the way in which Christians would do their worship gatherings when the persecution was that intense, when it was unsafe to meet. They would meet at night under the cover of darkness, and they would have these very short worship gatherings. And here's what they would do. Here's the structure of their worship gathering. They come together, they read scripture, they skip the preaching, and they go right to the celebration of communion. Right? So we got 15 minutes because the horses are coming in. We can hear the chariots. And what we choose to do is the core of our, of our worship is to read the teachings of the apostles and then to break bread and share it with one another. Why? That's my question. Why? Why, under such intense persecution, under such intense pressure, why is this what happens as, as the core to Christian worship? Why is this strange ritual based on an even stranger teaching of Jesus, so important to the church. It's important for several reasons, but the one that I'll mention this morning is this. It reminded them of their true identity, of who they really were, because it defined their core identity as part of one body. So it doesn't ultimately matter if somebody's goat messed on your lawn the night before. You put that aside, because ultimately we are, there's something more important than that more important than our offenses, more important than being offended, more important than our differences, right? And we're gonna ultimately come together in part to remind ourselves just how core this actually is. So all wrapped up in this common meal that has been the centerpiece of Christian worship for 2,000 years is a shared belief in Jesus, who he was, who he is, what he did, is a common hope that God's gonna restore all things back to their intended purpose, and is a defining identity that we who are many, we who are different, share in the one life of Christ, the one loaf, the one bread, that we actually participate in the body of Christ. We actually experience in some mysterious way his real presence when we gather together for the purpose of acknowledging and celebrating it. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, your race doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. Whether you're a slave or you're free, whether you have a lot of money or you don't, that's not what matters. He's not saying it doesn't matter at all, but he's saying in light of what we have in common, right, that is no longer your defining identity. Right? Your defining identity is something else. Those differences matter. They don't matter the most. 
because this is who we are. This is what unites us, the body of Christ taken and blessed and then broken and given for the whole world, right? This is our identity. This is who we are. Maybe I should change my Facebook profile picture to be a loaf of bread because it is my participation in that bread that defines me. That's all that matters about me. And that's what we together come together to celebrate and to share. And so what is first known as the Passover feast, and then is the last supper that the disciples share together. And then it's known for a while as the Lord's Supper because of the unique teachings that Jesus gives in this moment. And then for most of church history, what is known as the Eucharist, which is just an ancient word that means the thanksgiving can be for you and me today truly a holy communion with God through Christ and with one another. As we come to this as it is, recognizing who we are. Friends, this is the one place amidst all of the differences, amidst all of the division, that we can and we must be one church united. We come to this table It's a table of grace, and we all come to this one common table together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. I pray for mercy, Lord, for us. I pray for a grace to be um, very different from the culture that we live in and that is shaping us just deeply. It's saturating us. God, we need your grace to be able to see ourselves differently and to be able to live differently because of who we are, who we've been made to be because of you. I pray, Lord, that in our own families, in our churches, and here in this city, that our union with you and our union with each other would communicate a consistent message of love and grace and the reality of Jesus to our culture that we would not be uh, submarining ourselves by our own divisions and rendering ourselves totally pointless and impotent in our our efforts to reach the the community around us. I pray for an acknowledgement of our need for you. I pray for a willingness to set down things for which and about which we feel very passionate and to elevate to the most important thing our participation in your life our connection to you Christ as we prepare to actually do what the word says this morning to actually experience this together I pray that you would soften our hearts that we would be full of forgiveness and grace and that we would acknowledge our need for your mercy in Jesus' name.